I just couldn't wait to get up here, Chad. I'm sorry. Good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, I know we're heading into Thanksgiving week, and uh, my hope and prayer for you is that who the people around you or the people that maybe you, you maybe can't see this Thanksgiving, that you just have this time of gratitude and thankfulness, uh, particularly for your family and then for our church family and what God's providing for us here at our church and, and what he's doing in your life. There's so many things to be grateful for, is there not, right? There is, and I think sometimes we can get lost in a lot of the other things that can distract us from really the power of gratitude in our life, and so I hope that for you. Uh, my name is Ryan Grable. I am the lead pastor here. If you've never been here before, I want to welcome you. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Threads of Redemption. And what we're doing is we're looking back at some of these Old Testament stories or examples that, that are pointing somewhere. If you read the Bible as you're going through, you'll start to notice that there's a narrative shaping and then there is a pattern beginning to shape. And then you're going to see ultimately the, the culmination of all that happening right at the moment Christ arrives. And that's what we're doing from now all the way through to Christmas of seeing like, man, why the world needed Jesus so bad. Why we were all in such desperate need, and then how all of these stories, even if they seem like they're uh, a story unto itself, they're not. They're pointing somewhere. Today, we're going to look at Israel's journey from slavery into a whole new people. And, and it's an interesting journey because we start to look at probably one of the most uh, people groups and maybe even leader who begins to like shape and look like a shadow of what is to come, right? And so they're making their way through and then ultimately becoming a whole new people. If you've ever felt, and I'd say if you're in this room, confused about the Bible, or if you've ever felt apathetic or even lost in what is your call as a believer. My hope is that today's message will give you a sense of clarity, maybe some purpose, and maybe a, maybe a renewed sense of why God has called us together, the power of the church, and what God has called us to do. I think this will be a message for you. I have been there. I've, I have had times in my faith, and I don't know if you've been here as well, where I'm wondering, God, wh what is my purpose? Like, what am I here for? Uh, wh why, why do I see so many things going on around me? Like, what difference can we make? Or even at times where we start to just, we've been a Christian so long, it just becomes almost like a tradition itself. So if you're here and you have a little bit of that rust on you, we want to shake that off a little bit today and put us right back into the game. I remember at times I've wondered, like, God, I, in prayer time, where, where, where do you want for me? And I always hear the same thing, and I'm going to read the verse to you again, but it's like, you, you, Ryan, you're going to have to look up. You're going to have to look around and see that the harvest is plentiful. There are people everywhere in all walks of life who are in need of the good news of which Jesus ushered in for us. Uh, let me read Matthew 9.35 before we jump into the message, just to kind of give us a framing of a mindset of where we're going and then how we're going to finish. Matthew 9.35, And Jesus went through all of the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He is announcing the good news. He's proclaiming that there is this kingdom coming. And it has already arrived with his arrival. And, the, and, and, and notice what it lists right afterwards. And healing every disease and every affliction. With this gospel comes healing. Healing in life, obviously healing and, and, and salvation from sin, but healing of God's people. When, they saw the, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. I, I don't know how many of you have ever herded sheep before, but have you ever herded anything? I mean, I've herded my kids around, and it's like a nightmare, you know what I mean? And uh, only one time in my life did I ever have the opportunity to herd an animal, and it was uh, a very unfortunate situation in Texas where uh, one of our other pastors had a ranch, and he called me out to help him. I said, well, what are we doing today? Because I wanted to be mentored by him. This was a huge mistake. And he said, well, Today, we're just going to herd the calves into this chute, and we're going to castrate them. And I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, all you have to do is get behind them as close as you can and herd them in and, and rallying them all together and herding them down. Not easy. If they do not have someone to lead them, especially sheep, then they feel vulnerable and open to wolves and any other prey out there that would get them, and they're disconnected from their group. And Jesus says, these people are wandering around like a sheep without a shepherd. I know what this feels like, and I think you do too. I think this is why many of you in here have given your life to Jesus, because you are wandering around like a sheep without a shepherd. And it's the loneliest place to be. It's the worst place to be. You have not a sense of purpose and definitely not a sense of connection or a real connection with God. You're just going through life doing what everybody else says someone like you should do. But Jesus says, I came to be a shepherd to these sheep. Man, how we've, we've felt like this. And Jesus met that need. And then he goes on to say, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, and here is a very powerful verse. If you can study this verse, if you can even commit it to memory, if you can take this verse and embrace it on a regular basis, it will transform your sight for the harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I think what Jesus is saying is, you're going to have to lift your eyes up. You're going to have to look out at the people you're going to have to start seeing beyond ourselves or our bubble. And we're going to have to see that the harvest is plentiful and God has prepared it. And I think a lot of times that we can kind of hold back and stay back and let the harvest just come and pass. I grew up in Michigan and so I had the opportunity, I don't see this around here very much, but like big vast fields of harvest. And we had uh, I, I just remember, iconically to me, is, is, is huge, huge fields of corn. And, you know, I would, 
I didn't know any better, but I would drive by and take corn whenever I wanted. It was there for me for free, right? And, and I, I didn't know. And then as I became a teenager, then I started driving through those cornfields. Amazing. And then like all of these things, I just saw this vast cornfields. And I would see cornfields. I don't know what happened, whether they went bankrupt or lost, lost everything, but I'd see the corn come. I'd see the harvest ripe, and then I'd see the harvest die. No one had reaped it. And Jesus is sending out this type of warning. Listen, the harvest is plentiful. It will not be ripe forever. So we must go and labor in it. Who is the harvest? If you listen to our Oikos series, you'll have an idea of how to engage the harvest in a, in a, in a greater way um, for your life personally. Um, but I'll point uh, some directions towards the end of the service of how you can engage if you haven't heard of that Oikos principle that we as a church have embraced. But your harvest is your neighbor, right? And, and I know, I know the last thing you want is your neighbor who you might not like to come to your church, okay? I know, I know sometimes. I know there are neighbors that you've been maybe had a heart for, but you have just never stepped and engaged them. There are co-workers. Oh, yeah, I know. I just heard like, ugh. Wow, I got the same response if I were to say mother-in-law. I mean, like, there, are, there are those who are maybe difficult or maybe those who we've spent shoulder, to shoulder time with for years. And they're ripe. And, and, and one day it will no longer be, right? Our friends, our family... There are those around us where the harvest is plentiful um, and God is needing laborers to come. So let's pray and then we'll get into this, uh, this theme of this uh, part of uh, scripture. God, we thank you so much for your word and, and especially the challenging word that the harvest is plentiful. God, I pray, like you say to, to raise up laborers within our church to go and be in the harvest. You, you have ushered in the season. And God, that season is, is ripe. And God, I know that that season will come to an end. So God, stir any of us in here who are hesitant laborers waiting for another to go reap that harvest. But God, engage us into the great work, which is to call people to your name through the good news. God, I thank you that all throughout history, you have used people who could not articulate well. You have used people who did not have the skills. You have used people who were intellectuals and not intellectuals. God, you have used people who just knew the truth and not a lot of scripture to go reach people for you. All of us, God, we know can be laborers, and we thank you for that, that you guide us, direct us, and empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this message, The Harbor, uh, Harvest is Now. And I think sometimes we forget that the harvest is now. If we were all working a field, we were all together and we were all workers of the field. We had sown or it had been sown and we brought onto the farm and all of us were to go out and some of us or many of us would stay back. I think we wonder what is going on. We're laborers here. Well, we'll just let them go get the harvest. And, and I say this in a way of not pushing in, 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 where you feel uncomfortable, but I've, I'm letting you know that all of us are called to be laborers. 
We cannot sit by and watch someone else reap the harvest and some will die and some will perish and go away. We are called to go in and be laborers as faithful as possible. We are in harvest time and God calls laborers to every field. You have a field in your own life, like our Oikos principle says, ripe for harvest, waiting for someone to come and share the good news. You know, when I'd read scripture and I'd hear these terms of like harvest and, and, and or even like these festivals that they would celebrate in scripture, I would be very, very confused. I don't know if you've ever read scripture where you're confused and you feel disconnected by, oh, I don't know, a thousand or two thousand years where you're like, hey, guess what? We don't go and reap harvest. <laughs> you know, we don't do a, a first harvest celebration festival, Right. We celebrate other things, but we do not do that. We, sometimes we can feel so disconnected, and I get it because of the time and maybe the culture at that time. But I would feel that way when I would read Scripture. You know, it was difficult to relate to and hard to understand. And if you feel like that when you read Scripture, you're not alone in that. We're all on this journey to learn more and grow more because we get a bigger, bigger picture as we invest in it. We should never settle for the very minimal understanding of Scripture. We should continue to dive in. But I would read it and be like, um, so Moses would go out and da-da-da-da. And then, oh, and then all of a sudden these festivals would be listed and I'd be like, skip that. You ever read the Bible? Skip that, skip that, skip that. Don't know that word, don't care. You ever done that? I found myself in a little bit of that type of habit when I would, when I would repair something. Um, there's a term I use, I don't know if other people use it, but it's called a, a man cry. And it's when I have not fully followed the directions, I have not resourced uh, people for information, I have not carefully watched the YouTube video over and over and over to understand it, and I will skip steps along the way. Anybody like this, can I get an amen? Oh, okay, I'm in good hands. So I would, I would do this. I, I would do a similar thing like how I would read scripture. I'd be like, not important, not important, not important. I would finally finish it all. It wouldn't work, and I would do what I, my man cry, which is like, <laughs> why? Right? Like, no tears, just emotion, right? It would just come because my, my, my tears are not allowed to come out. And so it was, it's like that type of thing of where we will do this in our life in other ways. And one of the most important things, you can do this in an area if you're fixing an engine, you can skip parts. It's not detrimental. But when it comes to our faith, it's so important that we just take a moment and don't just skip the parts to get to the other parts because they all complete a beautiful picture that give us a full understanding. I, I, I've, I've done a few projects where I would kind of hodgepodge it together and kind of get it going and then someone would ask me, like, oh, how does that work? And I'd try to explain it, like, oh, this seems confusing, because I was confused, because I didn't fully understand it. And I think sometimes when it comes to the Bible, we need to look back and say, look, what does this mean? It's not in there for no reason. The God of the universe, who orchestrated the atom, who perfectly timed our rotation, who distanced us perfectly from the sun, is not someone who is careless with his word. And so we should treat it as such that it means something. It's pointing to something. But there's these traditions in Scripture that we should always look at because they, they, have, they span the entire Scripture. And actually, they give a lot more meaning about what Jesus is speaking about and when he comes. 
Traditions are important, and in this time, what we're going to read, they're talking about some traditions that will happen. Our traditions today, right, they are maybe Thanksgiving, right? You look at these beautiful Thanksgiving dinners, and you're like, okay, why do we do yams? Where does that come from? Someone, your grandmother, somehow, some way, decided to put yams in, and now you do yams. And you don't know why you do yams. Someone did cranberry sauce. Why? But it's all of a sudden, now it's a part of your Thanksgiving dinner. We have these traditions that we do. I know at our family, we'll go around and say well, things that we're grateful for. And sometimes I, I'm just like, okay, we got to look. We got to dig deep sometimes for gratitude. Have you ever been there before where you're going to have to find it? We have these traditions we've developed. They're important. Christmas, everything in this photo here comes from a tradition. We think it's from the secular world. It's not. It's all coming from Christian tradition. Every representative, the tree, the light, right, the, the, the wreath, all of these come from tradition. But we don't know why we do them. But they're important, right? And they're something, they have an origin story. For some of you, even Sunday football has traditions. I found this photo, and I just thought, oh, ma'am, I'm sure. These guys, I, first of all, I would love to have been there when they're making these. Like, these are going to be great. I can't wait to show up at the game with these. We're going to wear them every week, right? And so uh, I, I think that some people, even in all their parts of their life, have traditions that they do. And they might teach their young sons or daughters to wear ram's horns, too, and make their own and fashion them. I don't know what they'll do. We all have traditions, and they come from somewhere. And I think that they have their roots, and we pass them on, and we can always try to find them back to their roots. And it's fascinating. Scripture is not fully like this. Scripture is actually a little different. A lot of times we'll look back and go, oh, there's the origins of that, and so we just carry on that tradition. Scripture is something wildly different. Because all of these things that happened back in the Old Testament that we'd say are the traditions are traditions that are introducing something of heaven's reality. Way different. This is a, a past practice that has its origins and roots that actually are pointing everyone to a single point in the future. So the tradition is somewhat different. It's a shadow of heaven's reality to come. If you're ever reading scripture and you're like, well, how do I even understand that kind of stuff? Chad and I were talking about this morning, and he, he, he reminded me of this, is that sometimes when, if, you, if you have a study Bible and you're reading, you can just look on the side, study references, these links, scriptural links, and they'll point you to the link of where that is coming from that is foreshadowing what is happening in the New Testament that you're reading. It's beautiful how they're done. If you have a study Bible, they're great, great work. But if you look at Scripture overall, I kind of think a bit about it in this one way. When I was a kid growing up, I used to study maps. Anybody have that hobby? I had a lot of friends, guys. I, I used to study maps. And I'd look at them, and I would just look at them, and I would just look at, oh, oh, look at that mountain range, and I would look at this city, I wonder what that city's like. And I remember as a kid just always taking my parents' driving atlas, and I would, that, the, anyways, for you younger people who'd never heard of a, a paper map, but that used to have paper maps. And so I would open it up, and I would just look, and I'd go to the next state, and the next state, and I would look at the United States, and I just imagined that one day I will see this United of the uh, States of America. 
And then all of a sudden, one day I came across this one map. It's like, a, it's like an infographic map. Can you put this up? And so this is the map I studied when I was a kid. Look at this next one. And then I saw pictures. And man, I learned from pictures. I was like, oh my gosh, I can, I can imagine. Look at California. And I would always look at the West Coast. I don't know what it is, but when you are raised in winter, you just go West. Like you think West all the time. And so I would just look at these pictures, and I would just look, oh, wow, okay, there's palm trees. I can imagine it. There's a waving seal there. I mean, so many things. And then I came across another map that was even better, and it was this. Oh, wow, everything California's known for, Hollywood and surfing. Isn't that correct, right? And, and I would just imagine all of these things, and I would say, oh, that's a space needle. Wow. As a kid... I was never going to get photos of these things. We didn't have Google. And so I would just start to see a greater picture as the map got better and more clear. When you read scripture, this is what you're seeing. You're seeing that very basic blueprint. And then as it builds and as we get closer to the prophets, the prophets begin to kind of bring more light to it. And I'll tell you what, as much as I looked at California all my life, imagine what it would have been. And then one day I got to experience the reality of it. And now I see it and know it intimately and I know it well. I have the reality of it. No longer a vague picture with very little print. When you're reading the Bible and its progression throughout Scripture, it's just adding more color, more image, and it's pointing to something that will be an ultimate reality. The Exodus story, I think it paints this beautiful picture of what was to come. I'm not going to read it to you because it's forever, but like Moses, right, is this one led, chosen to lead these people out of captivity. You know the famous story. I don't have to repeat it. But they, I'll tell you a little bit of their journey. They leave the greatest, most powerful empire the world has ever seen at that time. And they leave them, and they go and start a new life out of slavery. Now, I don't know what slavery is like. I only read stories, and even our recent history within our own country, you can only read stories and stories of other people. We don't really know what that's like. But these people came out of it. They were in it for 400 years, generation upon generation, born slaves. And so they come out to the desert. Moses is leading them out of captivity, and he has promised them a better life through this God of theirs. And I know where to find him. And God meet, they, leads them into the desert, and he brings them to the Mount Sinai where God rests. And they see the power and the awe and the, 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 um, all these terms of like fire and smoke and voice that rattles them to their core. And then Moses comes with these commandments and this way of living now, when you read these, I think Christians, a lot of us will think like, oh, yeah, Christianity is just a lot of do this, don't do that kind of stuff. Well, I want to do what I want to do, right? But, but these people, you have to remember why God gave these commandments, a way of living as God's people, is because what they knew is what their master told them they needed to know. I would imagine one person was, this is all I know, bricks. That's all I know. I know how to do bricks. They did not know how to read. 
They didn't know how to be educated at all. They just knew bricks. And so when they're coming out as a people, God is bringing them into a place of knowledge and law and order and justice to be his people. If you're going to be God's people, he wants you to live the way God wants you to live. And so he is shaping them. And sometimes it seems harsh. Sometimes it seems like, man, that's a serious punishment for uh, striking your father in the face. Death? These were strict ways of living for a people who only knew how to make bricks. And so God is beginning to show them things. He is giving them the law. They are transformed out of slavery. They no longer are a slave to what their masters had showed them what life is about. They are now free to live under God in his way. I think sometimes when we read scripture, you have to be careful not to read it like an anthropologist, where you're just studying the culture of those people. And isn't that neat? Right? Those agrarian culture, cultures, right? With the learning agriculture. That's why they talked about it so much. There, it is true that that's then, but the way God is shaping these people and the traditions he is shaping that we will ultimately see manifested in Christ are much greater than that. You can't read scripture just from that anthropologist type of mindset. Let me give you an idea. There's a passage in scripture. It's in Exodus 23. I don't have it on the screen, but I'll show you just a little bit of it because I want to put up a little diagram of what they encounter after they've been given the Ten Commandments. They've been given these seven annual feasts. And remember with God, everything is perfect. So the numbers always match. The numbers tell the story. God has things done, seven being perfection. Everything is done according to the way God has set up everything for his shalom. But anyways, what they did is they had these these seven festivals. And in the beginning, it started with when they came out of Egypt and Passover, right? When they would sacrifice the lamb so that as they came out, they would be safe. The unleavened bread, the first fruits, first fruits were, and they couldn't celebrate it until they got in the promised land. But the first fruits were is when the very first beginning of like the barley uh, uh, would, would grow, they would cut it and they would put it into a little, a little bundle and they would wave it around and say, the harvest is coming, right? So the first fruits. And then they'd have the Feast of Weeks is when they would call all of the laborers together. This was 50 days after Passover. And they would call all the laborers together and they'd say, guys, the harvest is ready, and then after that, they would go into these other ones, uh, uh, the Feast of Triumphs, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. These are all towards the end of the year. We would say around October. All of these other ones would take place in like March and April and then ultimately like May. And then summer, harvest. To us, we're like, who cares? Why does that matter? We don't do that. Oh, Oh, but to Jesus and, and what God is unveiling and un, uh, 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 revealing, it matters a tremendous amount, and it matters for today now. At this point, when they would make an offering from any of these festivals, they would burn these offerings to God, and it was an offering that was going up. It was reaped here and going up. The first fruits burned going up right? The Passover lamb going up. Everything was going up to God. But then 
what was prophesied was that heaven was going to come down. That no longer things were going up, but heaven was coming down. The Passover lamb was no longer burnt up to God. The Passover lamb came down from God. The first fruits no longer going up to God. They came, it came down to earth. The, the, the festival of weeks or Pentecost, it no longer was going up. It was coming down. And so heaven is coming down. And God is invading this earth in, in, in a real, real way. Everything has changed, but these festivals tell the story in a greater picture. Jesus comes, coming down, and then he teaches and models how to live as godly people, much how they would have tried to strive to learn so, so much, the, the, the commandments and the law. He promised them, I'm going to give you a helper. If, when I'm not here, I'm going to give you a helper. They didn't like that. Don't go anywhere. We got you. You're our helper. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a helper from heaven, down from heaven. Paul, Paul does a good job of, of really linking Jesus to these festivals. He calls Jesus when he dies, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ is the Passover lamb. So this Passover lamb that had happened thousands of years earlier is now, this is the reality of heaven from something that was a shadow. The resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first, hey, harvest is coming, waving in the air, the barley. Jesus is the first fruits, and that's his resurrection, the first of many. And they waited for this promise, waiting for harvest, and they waited for a very particular time. They didn't know the time and the place. God knew the time and the place because it had been shadowed out thousands, a thousand plus years earlier. And they waited, and then it came. It's called Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50th in the Greek. Pentecost was this festival of weeks, is what it was called, is when harvest would take place. It was the beginning. It was ushering in a new era of reaping and going out and calling all the laborers to come. Jesus fulfills all the true meanings of these. Let me put this, the rest of this graphic up of that. Um, this would be the completion of it and really the interpretation of it on the bottom half here, which is obviously the death, the resurrection, Pentecost, the festival of weeks, and then all the way in the later months of fall would be when the end of harvest is coming. And then there'd be a final celebration of the final reaping of the harvest. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that the church age is the age of the festival of weeks in scripture. What we're experiencing now is what was told so long ago, and we're in that age now where we're reaping and the harvest is plentiful. And there will be a time, and we don't know exactly when, but the time when that harvest time is done. And then they will have a final celebration, and it's over. So, why I'm probably pushing probably so hard here and why Paul and obviously Jesus was saying, listen, now is the time. You're in the harvest time right now. We live in 
the time of the harvest. I think it's easy to get caught up and go, wow, how long is this harvest going to be? But God has a plan, and he has a purpose, and what he sets in motion will not change. And he has laid this out well before Jesus, pointing to Jesus. Jesus ushers in the harvest age, and then he will come and he will finish that age. I think sometimes it's hard to even grasp that, but it's powerful. I'm not really wanting to speak a message on Pentecost, way before Pentecost. But those harvests, those things we read in the Bible, we think, why in the world is that there? And why is Jesus talking about harvest? And why is Paul calling him the first fruits? This is weird. I'm trying to make this connection for you to see the significance that the plan is in play. And you are a part of that. I am a part of that. We are laborers. There are three impacts from Pentecost that you should look at that, that, that deals with every one of us as laborers. There's three things that we must know. Three impacts that happen that sometimes can get lost on us. One is this, is on Pentecost, that festival being celebrated, why did God pick that time to send the Holy Spirit to empower these people then to go into the world like he has, that we've experienced from the benefit of that. And as we go too, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost ushered in that time of when this would happen, the new temple would happen. No longer will God be in this one place. But now God is in your heart. His presence is in your heart. The power of Christ is in your heart and mind. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now I know when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you don't feel like a temple. You're just like, wow, this is a rundown temple. We've got to do some restoration here. <laughs> got to get the Botox, you know, like, it, I get it. I, I get it where you can feel like, how can I be a temple? How can, this, how can that happen? How can the, literally God's presence be in me? But that's what happened on Pentecost. Whether you like it or not as a believer, that's what happened on Pentecost. You are the temple of God. And that changed. Acts 20, or sorry, Acts 2, verse 1. Let me read the account of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, just like they were at Sinai, way back in Moses' day, all gathered together as lost people gathering together, looking for direction. And suddenly there came a, from heaven down a sound like a mighty rushing wind, very much like Sinai, and filled the entire house with where they were sitting. And it divided tongues as Fire appeared and rested on each one of them. When God spoke and fire rose, his word is what changed their life. So when we hear divided tongues, these are different languages, and I don't fully understand, but it signified something that my word will be taken to the world in all these different languages, of which they did not know how to speak. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, meaning different tongues, and as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a powerful moment that happens here that, that, that ushers in this new era of God's temple being on the move, that his presence being in you is on the move, and people experience his presence where his tabernacle temple is, and he's with you. 
And it's through fire, and it's through voice, and it's through reaching other people and all around the world. What happened here in this moment was the destruction of Babel's division to now God's word goes to the world. No longer to this people, but to everyone. The second thing that happened at Pentecost that impacts us is the embedded law onto your heart. There they were given the law and they were trying to practice it, and they were doing their very best to rid out sin from their life, and the law was exposing sin in their life. And they were trying very hard. And then when they didn't, they had to make atonement for it. And then they would try again, and when they didn't, they'd have to make an atonement for it. And they would go over and over and over, and they could not continue to do it. It was too difficult to live as God's people in that way. And so the embedded law happened, this inward guidance, the guide that Jesus says he promises he's going to give them, the helper, right, is, has been given to them. And so now that law, that word, the way of living, the way Christ lived perfectly is now written in our heart and empowered by the Spirit for us to walk in that. Now, if you've if you think you're perfect, I just want to tell you you're wrong, okay? And I'm sure everyone who knows you can tell me that I am wrong. You're not perfect. But, 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 what has happened in your heart is the conviction to then begin to deny sin and take up your cross and follow him. That has happened at your faith moment. Man, how many things that you didn't read in Scripture, but internally you had a conviction that this is wrong, because the word of the law has been written on your heart and on your mind. Hebrews says it really good. Hebrews 10, 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness with us after saying this, that this is the covenant that, will make, that I will make with them. God is saying this after those days, meaning the days of Jesus. I will put my law on their hearts and I will write it on their minds. So you know, Christian, you might not have read it in the Bible, but you know at some point, you know, like internally, a conviction. It's not just because you're a good person. There is something that doesn't line up with the kingdom of God and the way God's people are. And that internal conviction, law written on your heart says, no, this is wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a big deal. Because this is your guide. Shaping you to be holy people, to walk like Christ so we can be greater laborers of the harvest. And so it's written on your heart. Like the Israelites in Exodus, we were slaves once before you met Christ. All they knew was bricks. And all we knew before Christ was what sin informed us to do. We would try. I'm not saying there wasn't good people in the world, but there's a slave to the power of sin like they were slave to the power of their masters. And the Bible says that sin was master over us until Christ came and delivered us from that. And so now, just like those people then in Sinai who are living differently, they knew bricks, but now they're living as holy people trying to, that what Christ did is now freed you from the slavery of sin and the spirit imprinted on your heart is helping you live as holy people God's people. A new way to live. And then the last thing is this, is that there's a new mission. Pentecost, that festival, it meant that it's time to work. There's a job to do. 
You are God's temple. His presence is with you. And wherever he goes, you should not fear because he's with you always. And not only that, you have been embedded with the law on your heart. So you are people who are living more like Christ so you become a greater laborer in the harvest. And then you have this mission, the fields of the world, they're ready. Acts 2 is a really good example. You should read Peter's sermon because it's a really great sermon. Summarized, of course, but his sermon is just powerful and, and, and theologically, uh, I think, rich and very, very convicting. And so at Pentecost, when all these people from all around the world are there to celebrate that festival, they had no idea that God was beginning the harvest and they were a part of it. And so Peter delivers this sermon while all these people are listening in all these different languages that they had no idea that this ruffian from Galilee could even speak. But Peter was different after he received the Holy Spirit. He, he, he spoke differently because he spoke with the Spirit's guidance and direction. He spoke differently because he is, has the presence of God in him because he's the temple. He spoke differently because he had the very law embedded on his heart and in his mind. He was different. It was the Spirit doing the work. Now, if you remember period, or Peter, he was rough. He was tough. He was uneducated, unqualified, impulsive, and fearful. This is not the guy that you'd think God would choose to represent him in those moments, but it didn't matter anymore because he was no longer slave to sin, empowered by the Spirit, law written on his heart, presence of God speaking through him. I think a lot of times in our life we think, how could I ever be used? Listen, I can barely pray. <laughs> you know, I always laugh when, when somebody is so nervous to pray. I love the shortest most sincere prayers, which is like, God, we love you. Thank you. Like, that's great for me. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be articulate. Someone doesn't have to know vast amounts of scripture in order to, to, to be led by the Spirit to transform a life. Not at all. You could be a guy like Peter, who was fearful. He was rough. He was tough. First to pull the sword. First to commit and then back out. Can anybody relate? God used this guy as a great laborer. He preaches the best sermon of his life that we know of. But listen to the response. I think that's more important. Acts 2.37. And when they heard this sermon of his, they were cut to the heart. And they never heard of Jesus. But they'd heard something happened at Passover. And they said, uh, to, P they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do and Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and for the forgiveness of sins, of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off the beginning of the harvest. Everybody who the Lord, our God, calls to himself, and he, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourself from a slavery to sin. Because that's what the friends, neighbors, family members are enslaved to, to sin. I don't mean they're the most devious people walking around. I mean that they're bound by sin. And they need freedom. And Jesus came to break chains. 
Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine? I've never, never had a sermon like that. I've never had a sermon where 3,000 people responded. And I can't even imagine what Peter must have felt. This guy was a, was a, was a, a, at best, decent fisherman. And here he is being used by God as a laborer because he was willing to be a laborer. I'll close with this. We're all called to go. If you feel like, hey, I relate to Peter. Oh, I relate to Mary, right? Mary, someone who came from a really tough background, not one to talk about much in public, but came and was used mightily by God. Someone like Paul, who was really responsible for murder, and imprisonment of innocent people being used by God. Right, you name it. The background you come from, what you think you can't do, you do not realize this. I always say this, and I've heard this before, is that God, God doesn't call the qualified people. He qualifies the called. And when you answer the call to be a laborer, he will qualify you in your steps. When you're speaking with your neighbor and however you're uh, feeling like, oh man, they, they would never be open to this, then, then you don't realize the qualifier, which is God, what he can do and what he did through a fisherman from Galilee to convert 3,000 people in a day and be a church leader. You don't realize it. But that's what Jesus was saying. I'm here to empower you. The Spirit's going to do his work. I freed you from sin. And I am the first fruits of how you can live. And the harvest will be even more plentiful. And you will reap so much more the more you live like me. Matthew 28, last verse, uh, 920. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus' last commandment. Ble uh, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the best part of the verse. I am with you always. To the end of the age. What age? The harvest age. As long as the harvest is going and the final reaping of the season isn't here, he is with you to the end of the age. And then the end will come and the harvest will be done. I don't say that to freak anybody out, but I, I want to make sure I remind us all that that this life and the way it is won't continue in perpetuity. The way God was on his calendar of festivals is the way he will operate. And we are in the harvest. Not the apostles, not just them, not just some of those great church father leaders throughout time, not just in the 1950s in the United States when Christianity was on the real rise. Now, we're laborers. Don't count yourself out. He will empower you to do the work like you did that Galilean fisherman named Peter. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for always the reminders of, of to look out at the harvest. The work is not done. You have not closed the season of harvest. We'll know it when it happens, God. Help remind us, inspire us, uh, encourage us that we are a part of the laboring force to bring in the harvest because of your love for your people. Nothing could have been done, God, but you did it all through Christ and gave us 
the good news for those who can spend life in eternity with you because you broke sin through Christ. And you taught these slaves to sin a new way of living and brought us into eternal life. God, we thank you that you have come down to do your work. Help us be a part of it. We love you and we thank you so much.